What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. One of the things I love to read about is fascinating women. So today, I'd like to share with you one of my favorite authors who tells women's stories. Her name is Tanya Lee Stone. One of my favorite books by Stone is Almost Astronauts, 13 Women Who Dared to Dream, which tells the story of 13 women who were tested to try to become astronauts in 1958. While none of the women ever made it into space, their stories of facing down gender barriers is truly inspiring to girls who want to know about women who paved the way so others could achieve their dreams. Stone's newest book, Girl Rising, is also just as inspiring. In 2013, Stone saw a documentary film and quickly realized that there was another format in which to tell the stories of these amazing young women who face obstacles to getting a basic education. Building on the field notes, photographs, and raw footage provided by the filmmakers, Stone tells about the lives of girls from India, Nepal, Egypt, Cambodia, and other countries where there are approximately 62 million girls who are not in school. Organizing the stories around three barriers to education, including modern-day slavery, child marriage, and limited access, Stone and the story she tells puts real faces to the challenges and beautiful successes of amazing young women. The stories told here are full of pain and grief, but the ultimate message of this book is one of hope and courage. The stunning photographs are powerful reminders that there are real people behind the statistics, which Stone also outlines with basic infographics. Stone also puts a strong emphasis on the arts in the lives of these girls and shows how they use dance, drawing, and poetry to convey their message for the promise of change. Seeing these girls' ability to triumph over extreme odds to just go to school will provide a sobering reality to many teens, and Stone's focus in the last chapter on the solutions anyone can use to change the world will be empowering. So if you are looking to embrace a future vision of how our globally connected world can build and support girls through education, we hope you'll check out some books by Tanya Lee Stone on this recommendation from Rachel's World. How do you fix a car motor? Where's Timbuktu? Do bees sleep? You can learn a lot just by reading. But what if you lack confidence in your reading skills? A lot of things you're dying to know might seem far out of reach. Dewan Coombs teaches reading pedagogy in the BYU English Department. She talks with Rachel now about how our perception of ourselves as readers can affect our desire to read, no matter what our age. Coombs especially wants children to get beyond these self-defeating perceptions. She comes equipped with valuable ideas to help us change their outlook. Dewan Coombs teaches in the English Department at Brigham Young University. Her research examines the role of identity and the best classroom practices for struggling adolescent readers. Here's Rachel and Dewan Coombs. We're in studio with Dewan today. Welcome. Thank you. I think there's an important 
issue at hand that we can discuss today that I think will be very good for our listeners, because there's a lot of people out there in this world, um, adults, children, adolescents, everybody who just don't see themselves as readers. And in fact, they see themselves as poor readers or, or even heaven forbid, not readers, right? Mm -hmm. I am not a reader. And that really concerns me because I think that understanding that we're all readers and we all engage in this really important thing about consuming our world and identifying, you know, the information in our world is so critical to what we do that anybody who identifies themselves as poor or not a reader really concerns me. So, you, I know you share my concern. Yeah. So tell me why. Why is it that we should be concerned if somebody is identifying in that realm? Well, I think that um, they these are people who've internalized this identity that they're not a good reader or they're a struggling reader or they don't enjoy reading. Um, but that is going to influence the way they position themselves in the world, in a classroom, and it's going to influence all the decisions that they make about re- reading. Um for students, it's going to influence um, their desire to take risks and to learn things because they're concerned about how they're going to be perceived by their peers. They're concerned about um, doing things that look cool or seem cool. There's some research that shows or that talks about some teenage girls who carried around certain books in the hallways of the school, not because they were interested in those books, but they wanted to be perceived as certain kinds of people or that they read certain things. And so that, I mean, there's there's a lot of our identity that's wrapped up in reading. And so um, I think that the that's one reason why that's not helpful. Or, I mean, there's students who, there's some um, actually young adult novel authors who've talked about like they wanted to be perceived as athletes not and they didn't realize that you could be an athlete and be a reader at the same time and so a lot of the identities students want to assume they see being readers or being smart as conflicting with those identities and so um, that prevents them from being like multiple types of people right we don't want to just be an athlete or a reader you can be an athlete and you can be a reader you can be someone who's involved in drama and music and also someone who does well in their classes and who enjoys reading and so helping students understand that can be helpful because otherwise they see it as kind of this either or thing and I think that's when it becomes really sad and kind of harmful when we look at it is either or, or mm-hmm. it becomes a status symbol. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I, I think we've, sh- we've shared this kind of opinion that a lot of times people use reading or the ability to read and ability to read, you know, classics or highbrow literature mm-hmm. as kind of this sense of, well, I'm better than you because right. I read these wonderful highbrow things and mm-hmm. you read this crass lower. So it becomes this socioeconomic right. almost division uh-huh. in some ways, even though it's not. So so why is that a struggle and how can we address that? Well, when you were talking, I was thinking about um, some research one of my friends did about um, he's African-American. He was in a Ph.D. program and he worked with a lot of um, boys in an after school program who didn't see the they couldn't see themselves as individuals who could be black, masculine and literate at the same time. And so as a part of his research, he brought in um, some for, uh, men who were in a 
black fraternity and who were doing really well in college. And they kind of worked through this after school program with these students because their goal was to help them see themselves as people who could not just be black and masculine through rap music or through sports or through some of these other ways that they saw as very masculine, but also in being like academically successful and doing these other things. And so I think that um, it's really important for kids to have opportunities to see people that they want to be like in a variety of situations, succeeding as readers. Um, One of my favorite things that was on during the it was on during the basketball championship years ago when um, LeBron James was playing in the finals and I think it was on ESPN and they had this clip of him reading to like try to block out all of the other stuff he was being exposed to right and I'm not necessarily a Cleveland Cavaliers fan but I loved that he was using reading as this escape because a lot of my high school students didn't really see themselves as readers but they definitely saw themselves as athletes and it's like look look what reading can do for you it's not just this thing you're forced to do in school but here's a way an athlete is using this to block out all this negative press to block out all of these things that distract you as an athlete also and immerse themselves in these worlds like you can be this and this at the same time and that that is amazing to me because I, I think as teachers and as concerned adults we do see those identities as overlapping mm-hmm. right so our adult perspective allows us to see these overlaps but yeah. the then the child perspective or what they experience doesn't so how do we bridge some of these gaps how do we help people see that yes they do I, I love that program that your friend was studying and yeah other things like that what what can we do as adults to bridge the gap so I think there's a lot of things one I think is to be aware of our own misconceptions that kind of make us think that oh if someone struggles as a reader it must be because they're not smart um, struggling readers come from every demographic and it doesn't really matter if you're rich or you're poor or what race you are how many parents are in your home um, there there are kids that are going to struggle and so um, opening up your our understandings to think beyond just like, oh, well, I live in this neighborhood, so my kid isn't going to struggle. Like, that's just not true. Um, And being, I think, even acknowledging, oh, my kid is struggling and being willing to work through that, not seeing that as a like something that reflects upon you as it makes you a bad parent. Like that, it's not about you. It's about your kid. And so what are you willing to do to help them? Yeah, I I think that's an interesting thing, this kind of sense of how the identity defines us and and how then we define that as our rest of our lives. Because I know in working with struggling readers, I often see this kind of duality that either it's it's a badge of honor that mm-hmm. I'm not a good reader, or it's a badge of shame that I'm not a good reader, right? Yeah. And, and when you get this arrogance, it's hard to break through. But when you get this also negative kind of hiding behavior, it's hard to break through and Mm -hmm. say, okay, yeah, you can be a doctor. You can be a lawyer. You can do all these things. You just need to figure it out. Um, So how do we do that, particularly as parents or concerned adults? How do we maybe break through some of these negative experiences our students may have had in school or other areas to, to help them come to this center that say it's not shameful and it's not honorable. It's it's just who you are. Yeah. Well, I think um, we can do a lot of things to help challenge these um, negative identities that students have developed. One thing I think um, we can shift the reader experience. So um, I don't do a lot of like reading ebooks because I like traditional print. But for a lot of students that struggle, 
um, page numbers are a huge detriment, right? Mm -hmm. Or like they really struggle with that. And so ebooks really solve this because you can make that screen as big or as little as you want. You don't have to flip the page numbers. You can turn like change the fonts, the thickness of books, like all of those things that physical things that keep kids from thinking they can read a book. Um, those are all they're all changed. And so um, they don't have to carry around a book. Nobody knows what book they're reading because you just have your e-reader. So there's all these ways that the um, making it this electronic experience can like get rid of some of those physical barriers. I think helping kids um, have a wider variety of books to choose from can be really helpful. Um, helping them realize you don't have to just love Shakespeare, that you can also love young adult literature. You can love graphic novels. You can enjoy watching something on ESPN and then reading the article about it later on. Um, helping them realize that there's a lot of ways to consume text and that different forms are valued and how they can use those to, to do the work that they're asked to do in class or also um, that they want to do the extra reading they want to do in their lives. I know, you know, for me, personally, my identity as a reader was built because of those conversations with parents, not mm -hmm. necessarily because of conversations with teachers. Right. So I, I think just stepping in and saying, okay, you know, what are you struggling at? How can, you know, we do that? And then becoming an advocate for your student yeah. with the teacher is is a great role that parents and other concerned adults can can step in and, and support that individual growth. Yeah, I think sometimes parents feel like they have to be adversaries with the teacher or the school, but that's not really the case. I mean, most teachers are great teachers, and most of them want to help your kids, but they just have these huge class sizes. You know, things are not funded as well as they could be. And so um, helping the parent, helping the teachers know that you as the parent want to be a an advocate for your student, and you're willing to spend time in with this in with your students or with other students. Um, being willing to volunteer to find those books that the teacher recommends that would be of interest or great for your student and make those sorts of connections can can make all the difference. And I think that's the the main thing here. We just we want to make a difference. We right. want these poor readers who identify as poor readers to not identify that way. Right. And whatever we can do as parents or teachers to make that happen is a good thing. Thank you so much, Dwan. It's been a wonderful conversation today. Thank you. BYU Reading Pedagogy teacher Dewan Coombs offering some suggestions on how we can help our children overcome inaccurate perceptions of themselves as readers. Up next on Worlds of Waiting, Rachel welcomes young reader and teen author Wendlin Van Dronen and asks her to name some of her favorites among the books she has written and why they're her favorites. Van Dronen has written more than 30 novels for young readers including the Sammy Keys Mystery Series, The Secret Life of Lincoln Jones, and Flipped, which became a Warner Brothers feature film in 2010. A high school classroom teacher for 15 years, Wendlin is now a full-time writer. Here's Rachel and Wendlin Van Dronen. We're on the phone today with one of my very favorite authors, Wendlin Van Dronen. Welcome, Wendlin. Thank you. Happy to be here. I am so excited to chat with you today. I have long been a fan of your work. And one of the things that I love about your work is that you use humor and you use kind of joy and love to to temper maybe some harder things. And I think that sometimes people would look at your books like your Sammy Keys series, which is a, a mystery series, or your book, 
the, sh- the Shredder Man books and maybe look at them as more light-hearted types of stories, which they are to a certain extent. But you do deal with some really weighty issues that children face on a daily basis and talk about interpersonal relationships and in such a wonderful and amazing way. So when you write, is that something that you're really looking for, that you're really kind of delving into interpersonal relationships to help people understand how those dynamics work in the real world? It is. With the Sammy Keys series, it, it is deceptive because it's a mystery. So people automatically, you know, the series is a, they're each mysteries. So people people will automatically pigeonhole them, you know, uh, it, and, oh, it's a mystery. So that that detracts from the literary merit of it, which annoys me. And, <laughs> it annoys uh, me, too. <laughs> that really annoys so, me when they say it's a mystery, so it's lesser. That's, that's, hor- yeah. that's really hard. Yeah. So, and it's a series, which then is another detractor from its literary merit. But anybody that has read the entire Sammy Key series, or even, you know, a, a good segment of them, sees that what they're really about is personal growth and figuring out about your place in the world and how to treat other people and right from wrong and, you know, calibrating your moral compass and that the story arc over across the 18 books in the series has, has meat and merit and every book has something of substance to it that's beyond middle school. There are adult bad guys in all these books. I mean, she does not deal, Sammy Keys does not deal with um, who stole the homework or where did the pet go missing. It's the mob. You know, I mean, there, there are meaty things and, and subjects, and they all come back to a theme. Um, and so I write around a theme that I build the mystery around. So the theme can be forgiveness or it can be, you know, don't judge a person by the way they look or something more complex than that. But they all have a theme and that the whole series has a theme. So, so when people say, oh, it's just a mystery or, oh, it's a series, I'm like, you don't know. <laughs> you haven't read them. You need to go That's out right. and read them. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I really think that is sad because I think – a lot of people, when they look at Sammy Keys and even Shredder Man, they, they look at those books and they say, oh, series, oh, you know, kind of right. lesser books. But they really aren't. They're really complex. And the the vehicle is the mystery. And that kind of lets people not really know that they're learning something really important, which I think particularly for children as readers, you know, they don't want something didactic that's preaching to them. They want exactly. something that teaches them. Right. But see, to appeal to a child, I mean, you think about what you liked when you were a kid. You liked the kind of books where, where you got to the cliffhanger uh, chapter ending and you pulled out the flashlight and you stayed under the covers after your mom told you, lights out, go to bed. I mean, you liked those kind of books. Those are books that made you read. And reading is one of those, reading is the skill that, that equates with success in life. I mean, if you, if you become a good reader, um, that, that is, like a barometer for for your success further on in life, and so we want kids to be strong readers. And and the way they become strong readers is by by wanting to read. And and the way you get them to want to read is that you appeal to the things that they enjoy. So mystery and adventure and and humor, all those things. But for me, I want to put the theme in there. I want to put something that they can mull over after the book is closed and you know the mystery is solved and the bad guy's locked up. I want them to mull over things. And, and at, as a kind of a, an overarching, I want, I want them to, 
to feel like the, the things that they've learned in the books can be applied to the things that they face in their own life. That is one thing I love about your books is even still as an adult, having read Sammy Keys, I still mull over some of the issues and themes in those books because they are so powerful and they really had that impact in, in my life as a reader. And I know they do with children. So what, what were some of the things that impacted you like that when you were a young person as a reader? What were some of the books that impacted you? First, I, I got to say thank you for what you just said. <laughs> thank you very much because you said even as an adult, which I... I, yeah, adults who come to, to Sammy Keys through their child often keep reading them on their own, which is kind of, which supports what it is you just said. But yeah. I, I, I super appreciate that you said that. Well, it's um, the truth. So listeners out there, I'm not just saying it because I'm talking with Wendelin on the phone today. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it because it's the truth. Because it really, I read them as adult kind of sans children, as more of a children's literature specialist. And, um, you know, we're really impacted by it. It just goes to show that children's literature is for every audience. Yeah, it really is. And uh, I, I love that there has been this kind of move it, from like adults are reading are reading young adult and they're reading middle grade because I think that in the books that we write for youth there's this this sense of optimism and that that life ahead of you can be made in the way that that you want it to be like it's sometimes when you read adult uh, literature it's just so dark and it weighs you down and it just feels like oh life is just terrible (laughs) but when you read YA or when you read uh, middle middle grade you you get this this optimism and this sense even with the serious stuff you get this sense that either life can be repaired or there's great stuff out there waiting for me and I think that all of us want to feel that way about life and so I love that adults have kind of gravitated toward young adult and to middle grade for their reading pleasure because I think it's, it makes us feel good. So when I was a kid, I really loved books. <laughs> and this is probably why I wrote The Sammy Keys Mysteries is because I, I, I read Nancy Drew and I read The Hardy Boys and Encyclopedia Brown and I loved all, all those series books because when you, when you have a, a series and you like the characters, it's fun to go back into that world. It's, it feel, you feel like you're part of that world. And um, it's fun to spend time back in that world. So I think that probably had a lot to do with the influence on me at, as for, you know, writing my, my Sammy Key series. Um, and I think that what influenced me as an adult for writing books like Flipped and um, Runaway and Swear to Howdy and my other standalone novels is that I, being a teacher, and once you're a teacher and you're back in the classroom and you see that you're, you're, the kids in your classroom are kind of doing the same things that you did when you were their age, you kind of see yourself again and the missteps that you took, you know, in relationships or in, in just, just in growing up. And, um, and so y- you really, you really want to help them. You know, you're, you're a teacher and you, you become attached to your students and, and, and you, you see kind of what they're doing, and maybe they should be doing this instead. And so you want to talk to them, but you, you can't really, because now you're this old person who, who's behind the podium as opposed to, you know, one of their peers. And so, and of course, their peers have way more um, good, good advice for them than you would. So, um, so writing my, my uh, standalone books kind of became a way of talking to my students in the voice of one of their peers, 
um, where they would forget that it was an adult that was talking. I love that sense of immersing yourself in an environment as as a reader and then kind of as a writer because that really that really is what we do writing and reading. So how what kind of responses have you gotten from readers as they've read their books and immersed themselves in your world and had this conversation with you as a writer about experiences? What kind of response do you get from readers? It's it's all good. I'm I'm one of those lucky authors that doesn't get the negative stuff and for the Sammy Key series, there's this group of people out there called Sammy Acts, uh, and they just are rabid for Sammy Keys, and I just love them. And and uh, I did a book tour um, with my husband, who's also a young adult writer, and we we went and we did a loop of the uh, south part of the um, United States, and we went to all the independent bookstores across the South. This is like 100 independent bookstores. And and we went to little places that had not had authors before, ever. Um, So little independent bookstores. And we had people coming for like six hours. They drove six hours to come meet me. Um, And and the funny thing, the, the profile that I got of like the average Samiac, not that there's anything average about a Samiac, but um, was that they're really smart, um, which I loved because they, they uh, a lot of them had started reading when they were in fourth or fifth grade, and they had continued reading all the way through high school, and they were now in college, and they were they were studying you know biology or they were going to be brain surgeons or they're doing one's one's going to be a was doing um, intern an intern having to do with pig heart valves. I mean, these are all really smart people, and they bring sacks of books for me to autograph. And it was just meeting those people and just seeing the the effect that Sammy Keys had had on their life and their determination. Um, and a lot of them, being female, it's like it, they got out of Sammy Keys that the courage to, to do things and try things um, as as females, that... Um, really helped them along the path for what they wanted to, to become in life, which just made me feel wonderful because, you know, the whole girl power thing, it's, um, I'm all for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that, too. I love this sense of being able to immerse yourself in a world and just engage with that and engage in a conversation with an author. Thank you so much for sharing that wonderful experience. It really just shows how impactful literature can be in our lives and how much it can shape us and develop us into who we are. So thank you for sharing that. It, it has been an honor, Wendelin. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. I am an admirer and a fan of your work and hope that this short segment will help all of our listeners out there become the same kind of fan I am. And I am looking forward to all the things to come from you into the future. Thank you so much, Rachel. This was really great. Young reader and teen author, Wendelin Van Dronen, talking about some of her favorites among the books she has written. We finish up the show with two poems. First, Answer to a Child's Question by Samuel Taylor Coleridge, read by Hannah Colvin. Then, Bed in Summer by Robert Louis Stevenson, read by Garrett Rushforth. Do you ask what the birds say? The sparrow, the dove, the linnet and thrush say, I love and I love. In the winter they're silent, the wind is so strong. What it says, I don't know. 
but it sings a loud song. But green leaves and blossoms and sunny warm weather and singing and loving all come back together. But the lark is so brimful of gladness and love, the green fields below him, the blue sky above, that he sings and he sings, and forever sings he, I love my love and my love loves me. Bed in Summer by Robert Louis Stevenson In winter I get up at night and dress by yellow candlelight. In summer, quite the other way, I have to go to bed by day. I have to go to bed and see the birds still hopping on the tree or hear the grown-up people's feet still going past me in the street. And does it not seem hard to you when all the sky is clear and blue and I should like so much to play to have to go to bed by day? Two Poems Answer to a Child's Question by Samuel Taylor Coleridge and Bed in Summer by Robert Louis Stevenson read by two BYU radio student employees. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.